let me get all my garb out. I have a stopwatch because I'm a, I'm a coach. Um, I have water and uh, handkerchiefs because I'm surviving cancer. It, let's, let's be realistic. It's a snot rag, okay? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so, oh, today's Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, you know, let us all shout, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, save us now, because we all need a Savior. So uh, I'm here today. I'm going to tell you a story, because I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm a storyteller. And um, it's a story of a crowded house. Now, I don't mean the musical group from the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, I'm actually talking about a, a, a literally, it's a crowded house. It's a crowded room. And um, in this story, well, actually, let me go back to what uh, Jesse did. So uh, Jesse asked me, oh, that might be in the way. He, says, he asked me if he, I could speak today. I didn't really know it was Palm Sunday when he said this. But he said, um, I'm going to give you two stories, read about them, pick them out. And so I did. I was reading about them, and they kind of go along with the series he's been doing, you know, how he started with uh, Jesus flipping the tables. Uh, you know, what type of obstacles in our life does Jesus need to flip? What kind of, what does he need to disassemble in our life so that we can see him, so we can be with him? So if y'all remember this, this little journey, so that's what he kind of wanted me to keep in the same lines. And so he gave me two stories. I read them. They both are so rich with so much stuff, I could not make a decision. So um, I went to Missy, and I told her the stories, you know, had a reader, and, and uh, of course, she reminded me, and uh, we all need a good woman reminding us of stuff, right? Amen? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Uh, us guys admit that, too. And uh, she said, you know, um, the one in Mark 2, which that's where I'm going to be reading, verses 1 through 12, she said, uh, that one's kind of like our, um, our cancer journey. It's a testimony. It's part of a testimony of a cancer journey. And I will tell you the rest of that at the end of the story, so I guarantee that you uh, stick around. Man, I forgot to start my stopwatch. All right. I always like to stopwatch versus looking up there. I always forget to look up. So um, this story has some scribes in it, teachers. They're masters of the Hebrew law. And I'm going to focus on them. When it comes to the idea of flipping tables, I'm going to focus on these guys. And I will tell you, I want you to go home and read this story. I mean, I've counted at least six tables in the story that can be flipped. But I'm going to go focus on two of them because we don't have enough time. And uh, heck, I, I thought about one this morning. So uh, in this story, the tables I'm going to focus on, table number one, um, these scribes, I'm going to focus on their thoughts and their ways and how that interferes with them seeing Jesus, okay? So by their thoughts and their ways, they look at a person, they look at a situation, they look at a paralyzed man and said, you're a sinner because of that, and their thoughts and their ways, that they make judgments and assessments based on that. And let's be honest, that's, that's a pretty easy trap to fall into. Let me take my halo off and chunk it because I fall in that trap all the time. Matter of fact, I am 57 years old. It's taken me 56.95 years of my life to figure out I need to get a handle on this. And I've come to thought that, you know what? My thoughts aren't worth dog water. 
If you hang around 9, 10, 11 year olds, you know exactly what I mean. It has to do with a game called Fortnite. So let me go up age bracket, several age brackets. My thoughts aren't worth diddly squat. Uh, it's understand that when you've got to hang out with 50-something, 60-something-year-old guys. Either way, it's not worth much. I don't want the world to revolve around my thoughts. I finally come to a realization of that. I don't want to look at me in any situation, circumstance, and I don't want to go by my thoughts. I want to go by him. And their judgments, really our judgments, they're the, they're the enemy of faith. You know, that's, that's an enemy of faith by going by our own judgments. And these guys, since they know the law, they know Proverbs 3, you know, don't lean in on your own understanding. They know Isaiah 55, where God says to Isaiah, he says, you know, my thoughts are higher than yours. My ways are not your ways. You know, as the heaven is above the earth, that's my thoughts are higher, okay, than yours. And my ways are too. They know this, but yet they still... And you'll figure it out with the second table. They still want to view things through their thoughts and their minds and their ways. All right, so the next table, table number two, is traditions, especially traditions in religion. Okay? Now, traditions aren't necessarily bad, are they? No, there's some pretty good traditions out there. But do they keep you from seeing Jesus? You know, are they an obstacle that gets in the way? Yeah, we're fixing to have a holiday next weekend, and there's a pretty good tradition that's not in the Bible. It's not biblical. You know, we're going to have an Easter bunny come, and he's going to fill you baskets with some candy, some silly string, and confetti eggs, and that's good stuff. I mean, but we're also, a tradition that is helpful that points us towards Jesus that we can see is, you know, we'll have Good Friday. Good Friday for us, a very challenging Friday for Jesus when that happened. But then three days later, and we see what God can do with three days, okay? Um, Jesus wakes up, takes off his death garment, folds it nice and neat, puts it where he's laying. Angel rolls the stone away. Jesus walks out, and he's like, to death, table flipped for the next 2,000 years for all my people, you know? So some traditions are good. Some are bad. Now, when we start at Carpenter's Way, our founding pastor, Pat Camerata, he was very adamant about not having traditions kind of take us over. He was very adamant about not falling into legalism. Okay, if, if some of y'all remember that in the early days, this, you know, he talked about that. And so he always tried to steer us from traditions, especially in religion, okay, because they can be an issue. All right, I mean, you'll. What he wanted was you people to come here and worship freely. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of it still because we hear terms like, I feel safe here. I feel at home here. And so I, th I think we're still going in the right direction on uh, Pat's vision there. In other words, come Easter, you're not going to have us arguing about, well, it's Easter. We should have lilies out here. Oh, no, I like tulips. And the third one's going, no, I like daisies. And then the other two start taking verbal stones and stoning the poor daisy lady who loves daisies, you know? And so we don't, we don't argue with that because we just kind of took that tradition out of the way to prevent that. Because trust me, there's, area, there's people who do. They get worked up about it. You know, they're like, I'm standing here. I am an oak and I'm not moving. <laughs> okay. All right. So 
You know, there's all kinds of tables in our life, but here's one of our issues. Sometimes we don't want to let them tables go. We're like hanging on to the edge. Jesus said, you know, I can flip that table. And sometimes we're laying across the table crying like, no, I don't want to forgive them. I am angry at them. They did me wrong. I don't want to let go of this table. And Jesus is across the table. He's saying, you know, is it better to be right or be right with God? Okay, you know, flip the table. And so sometimes we have these tables that get really heavy. They're like mahogany, you know, and a lot of times they're heavy is because of ourselves. We keep piling stuff on them, and we think we can flip them ourselves, and we're trying to flip them, and we throw out our spiritual back because it's heavy, okay? And Jesus is over there and said, I, I can take care of this pretty easily. And sometimes Jesus says, you know what? I'm flipping it anyway because there's a desert road that you're fixing to travel down. It's long and winding. It's going to get scary. But I promise you, at the end, I can see the big picture. You know why I can see the big picture, Jesus says? He says, because I painted it. I planned it out. Okay? So take my right hand. Let's go for a stroll. Let's go. So sometimes he just it's necessary for him to just get that out of the way. All right, so I'm fixing to read from Mark 2, and kind of let me set the stage. So Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. So if you look at um, Matthew 4, I think verse 13, he decides to move from Nazareth and makes Capernaum his home. This is his HQ. This is his headquarters for a big portion, not all of it, but a big portion of his ministry. And so he calls this home. And so it starts right there. Now, it's saying that he's returning to Capernaum. So he went to Capernaum. He went out to the Sea of Galilee region to uh, speak to the people, heal people, do all kinds of signs pointing to how good God is. So verse 1, it says, I'm sorry I'm using my phone, but my Bible, it's actually Missy's Bible, it is so big. I don't want to bring it up here. And the reason why I like her Bible because the print is big. And so, uh, but I can actually, that's one thing I like about using my phone too. But uh, please don't judge me on that. A hard copy, I agree, is much better in your hand than a phone. All right, verse 1. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people that he, oh, people heard that he had come home. Okay, so he's home. So that means you can run up to me and say, hey, Jesus is home. Oh, yeah, the house on the, the corner of Yahweh Lane. Yeah, that's the one. All right, let's go. We better hurry because you know why? It's going to get crowded. Okay, so we're going to find out in verse 2 just about how crowded it is. Verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. Okay, so pause right there. So me and you, we make it to the room in time we're in, but man, we are squished, no personal space. We're packed in like sardines. We're shoulder to shoulder. How you doing? How you doing? You know, it's, it's crowded. So picture that in your head. It is crowded. Um, there's not even room outside the door. So pause right there. So there's people just crammed in, and they're just trying to cram in to look inside the door. I hear, I mean, there's a line going all the way out there, and people are trying to lean in and listen. If they got bad ears like me, they're like, what's he saying? 
And I mean, this line is like the line at the Porkabob place at the festival. <laughs> if you've ever, if you've been there and you've been Mr. Porkabob, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, he was preaching the word to them. Okay. So verse three, we have some characters show up. Verse three, some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, we don't have a lot of details there. We know there's men. We know there's four. We know there's a paralyzed man. Um, it doesn't really say this, but I have, it kind of gives the impression, the story, that they were his friends, or at least one of them a relative, at least somebody who kind of takes care and looks over this paralyzed man. You know, and, and they hear Jesus in town and they have a strong belief that, you know what, our friend that's paralyzed, let's give him a name, uh, Jason, our friend that's paralyzed, Jason, we need to get him to Jesus because that's where we believe he needs to be right now. Strong belief. OK, and so we don't know necessarily um, if they knew him or not. They may be part of the Good Sands Club, Brandon Holmes gave me that. You know, a good Samaritan just comes by and sees, oh, look at Jason, he can't walk. And they might have pity on him, compassion on him. And, you know, maybe they just swoop him up because they don't really say how they got him there. Now, traditionally, I've always thought that they made a stretcher, put him on a gurney. But it doesn't really say. You know, maybe they just swooped him up and took turns weaving bobbing through the streets of uh, Capernaum. You know, maybe that was what the case was. I don't know. Only be left to the one's imagination. So verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, comma, you know, they're sitting there, they see the crowd, they're probably assessing the situation. They're probably thinking, well, maybe we can just push our way through. And one of them's like, dude, we got a gurney here. We got him on a stretcher. This this too crowded. We can't do that. And so they're sitting around and looking. You know, maybe there's stairs going up to the roof. The roof. And so they all decide to carry him up to the roof. I mean, it doesn't really say that in the Bible, but it kind of leaves that impression that they had to get up there somehow. So verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was laying on down <coughs> into the room. So a couple of points here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is like a showstopper. You know, me and you, we're sitting there, you know, crowded room, all of a sudden, Boom, they start digging through the roof. Sheetrock and insulation is falling on us. We're trying to brush it off. I mean, this is grabbing everyone's attention. We're looking up here, you know. It also grabs Jesus' attention. He's looking up here, too. And we're going to find out in verse 5 that he definitely sees something in this that's happening, okay? So, you know, I like to think that Jesus is looking up there. Everybody else is looking at the tree, but Jesus is looking up there. He's seeing this take place. And he's got like smile on his face, nodding his yes. He's got joy in his heart. Looks up at his father. God's like looking down. Those are my kiddos right there. Angels behind him, high winging each other. You know, it, because and the reason why I, I view it this way is because I have 
I really strongly believe that a person or a group of people can amaze Jesus with their faith. Um, Luke 7, the story of the centurion, it actually says in the Bible, either it says amazed or it says he marveled at the faith. He didn't even turn around and look at everybody. He was funny. He said, I've never seen this kind of faith even in Jerusalem. Um, Matthew uh, 15, there's the Canaanite woman who cries out for help. And what does Jesus do? He asks her a question. Have you ever noticed that Jesus does that? Like He asks questions. It's like he's taking a little dipstick into your faith reserve, pulling out, hmm, you're a couple quarts low. You know, have you ever noticed that? He always asks questions like that. And so he asks this lady a question. I'm not going to go into it for time's sake. And her response hit it out of the park. So much that he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Explanation mark. He didn't say like, oh, woman. He's like, oh, woman, you're, you're, this is some, some kind of faith here. And so I, I really believe that as individuals, as persons, you can demonstrate a kind of faith that does amaze Jesus. All right, and we're fixing to find out what he saw. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, he just made it personal, didn't he? He just said, you're family now. He just made this an intimate relationship. He called him son. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Okay? Now, his friends brought him there because he's paralyzed. You know, counting on a uh, physical healing. But what does Jesus do first? First, he heals him spiritually because that's more important to Jesus. Okay? That's what matters. He's, he could say, hey, you know, you just came through the roof. Get up your, pick up your mat and just walk. You're healed. But he still left out that room broken. Okay? He needed healing. And Jesus knows this. He knows that with this sin, he can't be in the presence of God. Son, your, your sins are forgiven. I can totally relate to that because during if my story... 71, 72 days before I even knew I had two types of cancer, God said to me, he said, I am healing you spiritually. I didn't know why at the time. You know, me and this guy, we got a two for one. Who don't love a two for one? He just got the first part of his. When When God spoke to me, that was my first part. The second one come later. Fortunately for this guy, his comes in a few minutes. Mine I had to wait like a year and a half for, my second one. So verse 6, now some teachers of the law, scribes, were sitting there thinking to themselves. Verse 7, why does this fellow talk like this? And then all of a sudden, boom, oh, he's blaspheming. I mean, they do know the law, right? Um, who can forgive sins but God? All right, so... I'm going to play just a tiny bit. I'm going to defend these people just a little bit right here. Is that a true statement? Yes. Only God can forgive sins, you know. Cameron, can you forgive my sins? No, you can't. Right. Only God can. No one else. Okay? So they're right in saying that. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even argue with them. He's like, yeah, you're right. He doesn't. Um, but they are totally missing the mark. And the reason why they're missing the mark is because of the tables I was talking about. 
There's, there's so much part of their life. This is what they're used to doing. This is their life. You know, they do view that if there's someone paralyzed, Jason, you're paralyzed, I'm sorry, you're a sinner. I mean, they view that. That's how they, that's how they think. That's their ways. That's their thoughts. Um, and so there's so much, they're missing a mark. They don't see what Jesus is. They don't see that kind of faith. That is amazing faith that these people are doing that, going this extra mile, taking no for an answer, getting through the crowd. You know, they miss that mark. But on their defense, you know, this is what they're used to. They, they get a sin offering. Maybe they buy it at the temple. Um, they bring it to the high priest. And what does the high priest do? He brings it to the presence of God. That's what they're used to. So that's my little bit of defense for them. So, you know, when we look at people and they view things a certain way, you know, just think, oh, man, Jesus, they need you. You know, it's, it's not judge on them. Let's not assess by our own thoughts and understandings. All right, so we move on in this story. What are we on? Verse 8. Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit um, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Can you imagine the look on these guys' face when Jesus asked them that? You know, they're probably, their eyes are like, what? They're probably looking and saying, did you, did you say something out loud? Did you say something out Did you speak your mind how you normally do? No, I didn't say anything. And so Jesus already knows. I mean, he's, he's like getting into all the details of this situation, you know? And I'm hope you see this, how I see it here um, here in the next couple of verses. I really think Jesus is seeing an opportunity to flip their tables. I think Jesus is seeing a crack where the light can get through. That's what I, that's what I really see in this situation. I hope you see it the same way. Verse 9 says, he poses a question, testing their, measuring their faith. Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Okay? Jesus chose the first to go first with, because that, he knows that's more meaningful. He knows that's more important. But, does this some y'all's translation? Yeah. Some translations say, um, but that you may know. But I love this one because it says, but... I want to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay? And he's fixing to say something to the guy. So Jesus has a desire here. He wants them to know. He sees an opportunity to flip their table. You know, he's not just pushing them aside. He's not condemning them. Yeah, maybe in front of, in heaven he might. But right now is not the time. Okay? So... He sees an opportunity. He says, I want you to know. And so he's going to do this physical healing in front of them on their behalf so that they can have something that's tangible, something that they can actually see and take with them. You know, they're having a hard time seeing that Jesus has this authority, but he's telling that I do. Okay. And let me point out, you know, in Jesus, in Jesus a lot of times called himself a son of man. Are y'all aware of that? I don't know all the theological description of this. Um, I will tell you mine, which we already said in word diddly squat, but mine, um, 
To me, this is making him human to us, okay? Um, it, you know, we got no problem. Oh, man, yeah, Jesus, he's, he's the son of God. But he, he always calls himself son of man. I think it's just because he's trying to relate to us, okay? Trying to start that intimate relationship to you. I mean, it's so much easier for me to sit down and talk with you and have that relationship because I can see you. Okay, and so I think throughout the Bible, I mean, that's just my take. If you got another take, I would love to hear it one day. I mean, I really would. I just so he says to the man, verse eleven. Now, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he's received his second healing there today, right? He got his two for one. He showed up for one. He got two. Okay, and so what does the man do? He he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of all of them. I'm going to come back to that. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay? Never. This man had to be lowered down. He can't walk. He, Jesus says, get up. Folds up his mat, throws his own shoulder, starts walking out. I mean, what's he do? There's a crowd, remember? Does he say, uh, excuse me? Excuse me? Does he walk away? Or does everyone just kind of peel back and says, go right there, just look in amazement. And he's walking out and he said, you know, I'm heading home. I'm walking home. No one's carrying me home in this situation. And it is so amazing that it is in full view of them all. Well, who's all? The crowded people. The disciples are there, the scribes, you know, all. And then it says, this amazed who? Everyone. That means everyone there. And they, who are everyone, praise God. So I'm hoping one day when I'm, you know, kind of just meandering around in heaven, you know, walking by and saying, you know, well, hey, Jason, how you doing? You know, hey, Frank, hey, Jamal, hi, hi, hi. You know, and all of a sudden, hey, y'all are the scribes, aren't y'all? Y'all the ones that were in the crowded room. Y'all saw, you know, those people with great faith just crash through the roof. He said, yeah, man, you should have been there. There's nothing like we've ever seen. Well, until we got to heaven. You know, I, I'm hoping that they're there. I'm hoping that Jesus flipped their table. And I hope that they saw Jesus that he does have the authority to forgive sins, and that Jesus is who he says he is. That's what my hope is um, for these gentlemen. I don't know how many they were. Um, that's what I hope that they, they take away from this. All right. So before I tell you about uh, how this story relates to me missing, there is a song I want to introduce you to. Don't worry, I'm not singing it. Um, it's a pretty cool song. It goes with this, this um, story. And, uh, man, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not really familiar with a whole lot of songs that are written about Mark 2. And uh, before I read this, I want to put, plant some in your head. Our four friends, and even Jason, who's paralyzed, um, they showed something I call PPE, persistence, 
perseverance and endurance. You know, whatever it takes. And this song, I'm going to read just a couple of lyrics, not the whole thing. It's called In the Room. It's by a guy named Matt Marr. You know, he's kind of my age or older. He's got white hair and wears glasses. So I guess we got all that in common. And uh, it says this at the be- towards the beginning, not the very beginning. It says, I just want to be in the room. I want to be in the room when you move. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until I do because I don't want to miss it. I don't want to leave the room and miss what you're doing here. And later on in the some more lyrics are like this. It says, tear off, oh, I'm almost started singing it. <laughs> uh, tear off the roof, lower me down, whatever it takes to get me to you. Roll every stone, push through the crowd. God, I just want to see a breakthrough. Okay, so look it up. If you enjoy music as much as I do, I, I think you will enjoy this. All right, so I made a promise that, you know, I would tell you about uh, how this relates to me and Missy's cancer journey. Well, early in, maybe day one or two, a treatment, things weren't bad yet. Day three, things got really bad. Um, So I I told Missy, I said, look, I said, I know you're going to keep all these emotions in, or you're going to try. For my benefit, I knew she was going to do that for my benefit. And so I told her, I said, look, Missy, I said, you are going to need some friends. You're going to need some mates, some pals to pour all those emotions out to. I said, first, bring it to God. And if you ever read the posts that uh, Missy would post that a friend set up a Facebook page for us, if you ever would read some of that stuff, you would know that she did bring it to God first. Because, man, he would, like, pour into her, and it would just flow out. Um, you could tell that from the readings that she posted. Um, sorry, it's a little, still a little fresh. It's, it's almost five years ago, which for a cancer patient, that's what you're shooting for five years out. Cancer-free. <laughs> So I told her, you're going to need these friends to help you. And her friends would talk so much about two stories. I'm just going to cover one. They would talk about this story. They would talk about how we are, we are lifting you up on a stretcher we're carrying. Um, yeah, we can throw spikes on there, too, you know, since he's got cancer. We're lifting you up. We're going through the roof. You might even say that these ladies' faith was through the roof. And we're lowering you down at the feet of Jesus because they believed in their hearts that this is where we needed to be, at the feet of Jesus. This was the best place, you know. And I tell you what, after the last five years, I have figured out that's the truth. Hey, I'm not perfect, man. Man, my, my faith falters so much. And you would think, man, you got this experience with Jesus. It wouldn't happen. No, it happens. But I will give you this. This is what I've learned. And trust me, I, I know, especially men, you know, you want to take care of yourself. This, this right here, this formula, it works. You have a situation before you. Just go to Jesus and say, I can't fix this. You have to fix this. I can't do it. You have to do it. In my experiences... Especially the last five years, 
He's batting a thousand. He is hasn't failed yet. Um, let me read um, a text from that group of ladies. All right, so it says, this is one of them that they shared. Missy, please don't feel like you are bothering anyone or anything else other than just letting your sisters in Christ lower you through the roof to the feet of Abba Father. That's what we do. We carry each other's burdens. We don't apologize because it's what we do. It's an honor. No matter what time or day or night, it's what we do. For all eternity, family forever. Roof sisters. And, uh, you know, that, that was so special and important in our lives, especially I know for Missy. It's probably a little bit more her. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a little bit more her testimony than mine. But um, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. There is a, a poem I was going to read, but I don't want to go beyond time. Um, if, if you're familiar with uh, Joni Erickson, Joni and Friends, little um, devotional podcast, you know, she's paralyzed. <clears throat> and um, she found a poem by this lady named Bev um, oh, ever, 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 Julie, or something? I don't know. I'm, I just messed it up. So, and I wish I'd had ahead of time and had it up there for you. I really regret not having it. But it talks about, you know, the point basically that, you know, you came, you showed up in the night, you picked up my stretcher, you bared my burdens, and you carried them, the wounded, to the king. That's paraphrasing. And then Joni kind of added a little prayer there. Said, said, Father, show me where and who I can bear burdens for. Show me where. Give me the opportunities to pick up the stretcher and carry someone to the king who's wounded. So uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And, uh, you know, I will, I will leave you to this. I will leave you with some good news. Um, Romans 10, verse 13. I'm not going to do all this stuff. It says, for, this is good news. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's your good news for the day. And uh, I'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you just invade us, Lord. You know, our, our minds get so crowded with so many things. Will you just crowd our minds with thoughts of you and invade that space in between our ears and that trickles down to our heart, Heavenly Father. Lord, we, we, uh, give us directions. Lord, uh, give us inspiration at times that we can pick up the stretcher for someone else. Lord, because I'm sure people have done it for us. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful that we got to gather here and hear such great stories that you have for us. You know, you know the, that Desert road gets long and winding, you know, there's a, but there's a plan, there's a big picture at the end. We're so thankful for that. And Lord, as we, we gather, now we're going to scatter out throughout the community. Lord, I just pray that we bring your grace and your truth and the good news to those around us. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.